The Exodus is to the Old Testament what the cross is to the new. Any time that people are talking about God's deliverance or God's goodness prior to the coming of Christ, they look back at the Exodus and they say, do you remember what that was like? Do you remember this is the defining moment of when God reached into our history and set us free? The Exodus was that for them. And Egypt actually becomes later a great allegory for kind of oppression and in, in opposition to God, the way that, that in the New Testament Rome became. Uh, and so this, this event needs to be understood. I, 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 I hope you've read through the, the chapter, but I want to just really spend our time thinking over one set of verses here at the top of page 37 in the story here. The very top of that page, there's a paragraph And it says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. Now, I want to stop and and contemplate that sentence right there in and of itself. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. What long period is that? Well, if you were with us last week, we talked about Joseph. And Joseph was sent to Egypt uh, against his will uh, as a slave uh, he rises to power. Famine strikes essentially the known world for them. And everybody comes to Egypt for food, including Jacob. Jacob moves his entire family. He's got 12 sons. Moves his entire family to Egypt. And they take a residence there. They live there. They're given a land. And they, they just set up shop. Now what's interesting is that that's not what God promised them. God promised Abraham the land of Canaan. God renewed that promise to Isaac that you would have the land of Canaan. God even promised that to Jacob. And I'll tell you, I think Jacob had a a struggle with going down to Egypt. The reason I say that is, is the night before Jacob really heads out to Egypt, God comes to him in a dream to tell him that it's okay to go to Egypt. He says, it's okay for you to go to Egypt because I'm going to call your children out of Egypt later. And so even Jacob knew that that was not where they were supposed to be permanently. And yet right here, this verse says, during that long period. Now, I don't know what you think is a long period, um, but it ends up being 430 years. That's longer than we have been a country, to sort of put all of that into perspective. 430 years, they are in Egypt. And it seems... That they're okay with it. It seems that they're happy with it. It seems that they're comfortable there. There's good things happening. You know, there's denial, and so the stuff's provided for them, and, and the economy's good, and the agriculture's good, and life is good, and things are comfortable, and it's kind of at peace, and so it works out real well to be in Egypt. Never mind that this isn't where God wants us, but we're comfortable here. And I don't know if maybe you know of any place like that. Or maybe perhaps you live in a place like that. Well, maybe it's not exactly where God wants you to be, but man, it's awfully convenient. It's awfully comfortable here. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And then the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. We don't know when they became slaves. We don't know what transpired to make that happen. But at some point, it goes from being comfortable to being oppressed of it says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It's interesting to me that I think God, in this instance, sends a difficult time in order that their desires would be realigned. God sends to them uh, really oppression in order that they would see what the real spiritual state that they're living in was. I'll tell you, I think that they were living really in spiritual uh, slavery at this point. That they had become so comfortable, they had become so complacent, that it seems to me in my thought that perhaps they've stopped crying out to God. Maybe the reason God now responds is because maybe this is the first time He's heard from them in a little while. Because, you know, when things are good and life is comfortable and things are convenient, we don't need to cry out to God, it seems. You know, it doesn't take a lot of prayer to get in the car, get to work, get to school, get back, get home, do the same thing the next morning. We, we've kind of got that down. But when things become difficult, that's when we're so quick to cry out to God. And God here is sending them a physical reality of slavery so that they would see and feel what it's like for them on the spiritual level. They may already be enslaved by the comfort and the complacency. And now God is sending this to let them know this is what you're really up against. God's people deal with this forever. I mean, from then to today. Um, you look through the period of the judges and the kings. Uh, look, look through the time of Solomon. When things are at their best, it seems sometimes that God's people are at their worst because they become comfortable and they become complacent. Look at the church. When the church is oppressed, what happens? They pray and they band together and they grow. And then when things are comfortable, man, it gets sloppy and messy and they become lazy. It just seems to be how it is. Now, God doesn't send every bad situation. I know I say that, but I can't say it enough. God doesn't send every bad thing, but I think in this instance, He does. I think God sends to them oppression. I think God sends them into slavery in order that they would desire Him. That they would desire Him the most. You know, difficult times have a way of realigning our desires. Uh, let me give you an example from just kind of the natural world. In our house, we have a rule, or I have a rule, that children are not allowed out of bed before 6 in the morning. Okay, I love to get up early, but not to watch Barney. And so, you know, you need to stay in bed until that point in time. And our kids are getting to the point where they can read the time on the digital clock. And so they'll sneak into our room sometimes. And I'll like this morning, it was at like 5.30. One of them snuck in, looked at the clock, and they didn't know I was awake. They look at it, and they realize it's not the 6. And so they go back into their room, and that's, that's where they go. They know this is the rule. You know, you can't get out of bed until 6. Because it, 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 at nighttime, we have priorities, and our priorities are sleeping. That's just sort of how we roll. Now, maybe in your house you do something different, but in ours, that's what we do. Uh, 1.30 in the morning, for instance, is prime sleeping time. We don't run errands at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, I've been out before to get diapers and things like that, and I'm always surprised at how many people are out like, doing their shopping at 1.30 at night at Walmart. And I don't, I don't understand that lifestyle. I'm not judging it or you, but I just it's foreign to me because in our house we value sleeping at 1.30, not going places. We just try to stay home. Home, uh, at that time, this just, this just seems a good time to be at home is one thirty in the morning. But but two Thursdays ago, 
Miles woke up and he's having a hard time breathing. And, and you know, you're kind of sleepy when you hear your child gasping and, and that, that has a way to wake you up a little bit quicker than, than normal. And so you, I'm hearing him cry and he's <clears throat> gasping and he's got, we find out later, to be croup. And, and we start to realize this is a problem. And all of a sudden our priorities shift. This isn't one of those things where we look at him and say, hey, listen, we know you're having a hard time breathing, but, you know, if you could just hold out for like five more hours, because it's not six yet, um, then we could deal with this at that point. Um, but that just didn't seem right. Um, and so we, we broke several rules that evening. We got up. Um, we, Jenny got dressed. She took him out and, and to the hospital, and, and, and he got better, and that worked out real well. But our priorities had to shift because all of a sudden sleeping took a second spot to breathing. And that's what difficulty does. Sometimes we need really difficult circumstances in order to wake us up and say, you know what, your priorities are wrong. They're just wrong. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe, man, maybe life is so good. And as you think about it, you know, you know what, my, my priorities aren't lined up just right. And God can use difficulty in order to correct that for you. Now, God waits here. I don't know if you've caught that here, but they cry out to, to God. They pray. And then God sort of takes some time to send deliverance. Uh, he gets Moses. And he has sort of a negotiation with Moses. And Aaron gets to come along as a result of that negotiation. And then... Then Moses goes to Egypt and Moses talks with Pharaoh and they, they do kind of like this circus show with snakes and stabs and blood and water and frogs and gnats and light and dark and hail and fire and boils. It's not a circus you'd want to go to. And, and things start to die. And then eventually it gets serious and people start to die and God's power becomes really clear. But meanwhile, during all of this, what's happening? It says that their slavery increases. The, the workload gets harder. Things become more difficult. And if you've read this story, you might wonder, why didn't God do this quicker? Why didn't God move a little bit faster? I mean, surely God could have done a lot of things. God could have just, as soon as they prayed, God could have, you know, changed Pharaoh's mind. And Pharaoh could have brought them all in and said, hey, listen, you know, the economy is tough. And, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, we've discovered the pulley and that really reduces our workload. And so we're just going to have to let you go. We're just going to lay you off. And, you know, he could have laid off this workforce and, and set them free. I mean, he could have done that. Um, the text sort of makes it, uh, it's interesting why they end up in slavery. It says that the, the Pharaoh looked at him and said, you know, what if they become our enemies? Let's enslave them. You know, he could have realized this was not a good tactic to endear their loyalty and said, you know, why don't we be friends and we could be allies? That would have worked just as well. Um, but he doesn't do that either. You know, Moses could have come, had a good sit down with Pharaoh, what we term as a come to Jesus meeting. And Pharaoh could have said, you know what? You're right. Why don't you guys go worship God? There's no reason for you to stay here. There's any number of solutions that God could have provided. And yet the text almost makes it sound like God wants to prolong this. I don't know if you picked up on it. It says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it seems. Now, a lot of people wonder about that. I, I think the truth is Pharaoh's a stubborn, obstinate individual. He doesn't need a lot of encouragement, but God gives him just enough to, to go the extra mile. Well, why is it? 
Why is it that God goes to the trouble of prolonging this event? It's because he wants them to remember who did it. God didn't want to provide a solution. God wanted to provide a miracle. And I think that's key. God didn't want the people of Israel to get out into the wilderness with Moses and then to look at Moses and say, hey, listen, man, that was some great negotiating, Moses. You are the man. When are you going to write that book? And when are we going to be able to buy it? And, and man, Moses, you are so great. God didn't want the people to look back at that moment and say, you know what? I don't know that God really did that. I think we just kind of figured it out. God didn't want the people to look back at that moment and say, you know what? It just, I don't know, it just kind of happened. We're not sure why it just kind of did. Um, but, you know, we're thankful that it did. God wanted the people to look back and say, you know what? God did that. Moses didn't do that. We didn't do that. It didn't just happen. God did it. God did it miraculously. And there is nobody that can say, you know what? No, God didn't do that because it was so profoundly miraculous. That as they look back at that event, they said, you know what? God had to play a part in this. God sometimes waits in order that it's so clear that he's the one that provides the solution. God takes his time here. Because he wants these miracles to provide them a few things. One is courage. You know, faith and courage kind of go hand in hand. And we don't talk about people of faith being people of courage. And it's really to our detriment. Because courage, to be courageous, is really a great Christian virtue that is so essential to the life of faith. It goes hand in hand with faith. Because if you've got faith, then you can be courageous because you know that God has done something amazing. And this event right here was enough that it should have given them courage throughout their wanderings. That whenever they came face to face with an enemy, they should have said, you know what? We don't know how we're going to get out of this, but we know we're going to deal with it because God is on our side and he delivered us from Egypt. Not only did he send the plagues and not only did, did he let Pharaoh let us go, but he, he destroys their army as we walk through on dry ground through the Red Sea. You see, God wanted them to have the courage to face the future. Maybe you've got some, some faith stories where, where that provides you courage. Maybe you've dealt with something really difficult and you've seen God come through. And you say, you know what, I, I don't worry about tomorrow because I've seen God bring deliverance to me. God, God does these things so that we would have courage. Another thing he wants these people to have is conviction. You know, the conviction. The conviction that God knows what's best for them. You know, this has been a perennial struggle also for people of faith. They want to know, God, do you really know what's best? Do you really have our best interest in mind? I mean, Eve eats the fruit. Why? Because Satan says, well, if you eat it, you can be like God. Well, maybe God's holding out on us. I don't know if you've followed this through. Maybe you've read ahead a little bit, but you'll get into this. Actually, Jared will get into this next week. Uh, but as they go through the wilderness, there's one question that keeps coming up. This question is this. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you deliver us from slavery? Do you remember how good slavery was? Slavery was awesome compared to this desert. Did you bring us out so that you could bury us in the desert? Was there not enough graves back in Egypt? Why did you do this? You see, the people, they lack the conviction that God knows what is best. They seem to think that, you know, they've got it figured out and that slavery somehow would be better. They lack that conviction. Now, it's easy to be hard on them because we're like, you know, well, if I'd seen the Red Sea, I doubt. 
If I'd seen the Red Sea, I know God had my best interest in mind. But we don't. We don't. I mean, God sent His Son to deliver us from an oppression worse than that of the Egyptians. And yet we still have that same nagging doubt. We're still cowardice in our faith. We lack conviction. And yet God says, you know what? I want you to be people of faith. I want you to be bold. I want you to be courageous. I want you to be convinced that what I've got to offer you is the best. Now, as I read through this the first time, there was kind of one word that just really kept coming back to my mind. It was just warfare. There's spiritual warfare taking place in this. You know, God's people are enslaved and and Pharaoh is doing everything he can to keep them in slavery. And then God comes and he sends the plagues. And there's these magicians that come to sort of discredit all of this. And I just was kind of overwhelmed with this, this warfare, this spiritual battle that was going on. And, and they get out uh, of slavery. They come through the Red Sea. And you kind of think, wow, the war is over. But the problem is that the war isn't over. It's, as a matter of fact, it's just beginning. And it's getting even more dangerous. Because it's a subtle attack. No longer is it clearly good versus evil. It's kind of this good alternative versus God's alternative. And the people are torn between the two. And so what does God do? He gives them this memorial of this miracle that would remind them of what had happened. He gives them Passover. I don't know if you know what Passover is, but they take it every year. There's a meal. They'd sit together as a family. They would eat the same meal that they ate before they left Egypt. Lots of symbolic foods to eat. One is bitter herbs. They just were nasty. Why did you eat them? Well, it's to remind us that life in Egypt was nasty and it was bitter. You had salt water to dip things in. Why? To remind you of your tears, to remind you of passing through the Red Sea. A lot of symbolic food and the kids would eat and the family would eat it. So they they would remember what had happened. God knew that they were going to become complacent. God knew that once things got good, they were going to forget him. And so he said, you've got to have something that's going to remind you of it. And so he sends them the Passover. Uh, Orthodox Jewish people today that partake of that, they'll even set an empty place at the table for the prophet who's to come. That's to herald the Messiah. They're serious about this. They want to remember. They remember looking back. They remember looking forward. And for us, we've got that same gift. God's sort of provided us two of those acts. One is communion. Where we are able to look back and remember that Christ came... And set us free. Another beautiful gift that God's given us is baptism. Now, baptism's more than a symbol, but it, it is also a symbol. And it reminds us that we've been delivered. In baptism, we come face to face with, with death. Because it, it, it's, we're baptized, we know that we're baptized, you know, we, we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I think God gave us such a tangible way of entering into that relationship with Him because He wanted us to be able to look back at that and say, you know what, I've got courage because I've come face to face with death and I know how it is that I'm set free. And God wanted us to have conviction knowing that through Christ He's provided the absolute best alternative. So that way when a struggle came and we were tempted to be cowards, we could say, you know what, no, I've got the courage to face this because God has brought me through it already. And that when we were tempted and we thought, you know, I don't know if this is the best or not. We could look back at that moment and say, you know, I know God has gone to great lengths to provide the absolute best for me. 
You see, we're still in this war. The battle for the people of Israel may have been won at that moment, but the war is not over. And as a matter of fact, it continues to today. And we would do well to remember the incredible miracle that God has sent through His Son, Christ, to save us. Uh, we'll have our, our worship team uh, come up and we'll sing a song of decision. Uh, we do this every week because every week we believe is a chance for those to receive Christ. And so perhaps some of you are saying, you know what, I need that deliverance. I need that freedom that's found only in Jesus. And if so, we'll, we'll invite you to come forward and to receive that. Others of you, today is a great day to remember. And as we finish the song, we'll come into a time of communion where here at this table we are provided all that we need to remember the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the gift of Christ.